You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, Merry Christmas. In the name of Jesus, who comes to rescue us from our sins. The world hates Christmas. Now, it might not look like it. Uh, Starting in October, we hear Christmas music in stores, or so-called Christmas music, songs about snow and fires and mistletoe and chestnuts. I I wouldn't know a chestnut if it hit me in the head. (laughs) And we see pictures of Christmas everywhere, too. There's Santa and his sleigh and reindeer and snowmen and trees with lights. And there are gifts. The world loves these things. The stores in the mall especially love these things, and I suppose I do too. And not everything in the Christmas season is secular. You hear mixed up with the songs about bells and wassail, which is also something I have no idea what it is, what wassailing is. But there are mixed in there songs about Jesus, songs about his birth. And pictures and statues and nativity sets come out to celebrate the season. And it seems also that the world does not mind these things too much. But there is something going on at Christmas that is really repulsive to the world and to our own flesh. And the first person to see this is King Herod. Now, Herod is called by history Herod the Great, probably because of all these building projects that he did. Some some of the greatest buildings in the ancient world, especially in Israel, were accomplished by this Herod. And that includes the Temple of Jerusalem, the Fortress of Masada. He he basically built the whole town of Caesarea Philippi with its uh, kind of seawall and everything else going on there. But this Herod was an utterly wicked man. He had nine or ten wives, and many of them were murdered. Simply on the suspicion of plotting against him, he married his favorite wife, Merime, and all of their children together. Five days before his death, he murdered, he ordered, he, he ordered the murder of his oldest son, Antipater, who was named after Herod's father. Perhaps, I mean, to kind of illustrate the wickedness of Herod, the most famous story is that as he was, as he lay dying, he called all of the most famous men of Jerusalem and Judea to gather together for a final council, and he had them locked up in the hippodrome that he had built in Jerusalem and had his armies surrounded, surround them with the order to murder them all when he died, when Herod died, so that the city would mourn at his death. Now, apparently, that order wasn't carried out. But that's, that's the kind of guy that uh, Herod was. Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, said of Herod, apparently, it's better to be Herod's hog than to be his son. <laughs> now, Herod was a descendant of Esau, an Edomite. But the, the Edomites, the Idumeans, had been brought into the people, a part of the Jewish people, during the Maccabean revolt. Uh, they had submitted to the circumcision and become part of the nation, but they were always suspicious. The Jews called them half-Jews. And this Herod was also famous in Rome. He, he apparently grew up with Mark Anthony, who is the Caesar that makes him king of Judea and gives Herod the title King of the Jews. uh, Herod did pander to the Jews at times. I mean, especially 
he built the temple. Although some people are suspicious that Herod was building the temple so he could get access to the genealogical records that were in the temple and in the line that would bring forth the Messiah. And he did, therefore, know some theology. I mean, he knew enough. Herod knew enough to know that the people, uh, that the Jewish people were expecting the Messiah, the king. Now, you can just imagine, with this kind of knowing a bit about Herod, you can imagine how it would be when noblemen come from the east, from Iraq area probably, where Herod was busy waging war, when they come into Jerusalem asking to see the one who was just born, who is the king of the Jews. That's, that's Herod's title, king of the Jews. That's his office. That's his work. And no one is going to take it from him. I mean, he wouldn't even let his wife and children live, much less anybody else who would claim the throne. So when Herod sees that the wise men don't return to report that the child was born, that he was deceived, he dispatches his soldiers to Bethlehem to make sure that none of the boys that were born there would take away his throne. And this is the slaughter of the innocents. It's what was prophesied in the Jeremiah reading and reported in the gospel reading for today. A voice went up from Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted. So in dramatic form, the slaughter of the boys of Bethlehem is promised in the Old Testament And fulfilled in the new. And what a horrible promise and fulfillment brought on these babies and their mothers and their fathers by the wickedness and rage of Herod who hated Christmas. And we see how it is now that Christmas is so hated. Because the one born on Christmas is the king which means that you are not. (laughs) The one born on Christmas is the Savior, which means that you are not. If there is one thing that the world loves and that your own flesh loves, it is the illusion of its own goodness. And we should know this about ourselves. Now, you see it most easily when you go out and you ask someone who's not a Christian how they'll manage to get to heaven. And the answer, you you guys know what it is. The answer is almost always, I'm a good person. And this is not just what the unbeliever thinks of themselves. It is what we think of ourselves also. It's It's the neutral default position of our own sinful flesh. We are, most of the time, pretty satisfied with ourselves. And we notice it when we're not. That's a guilty conscience. Now, now we feel this way about ourselves, even though there is quite a pile of evidence against us, against our goodness. And if we were to take the time to think about this past year, or about this past week, or about the past few hours, then evidence against our goodness would begin to mount. We have the Ten Commandments, and they help us. What am I afraid of more than God? What do I love most of all? What do I trust 
myself, my money, nothing? How are my prayers? Do I trust that God hears me when I pray? Do I think that prayer makes a difference? Do I meditate on the Lord's word or do I have all of the bad things that have happened to me running through my mind or all of the bad things that could happen running through my mind, meditating on these? Do I pray for the people who have hurt me or do I sit there and plot revenge? And this is just the first three commandments. How guilty are we? The last seven pile it on even more. Here it comes. You ready? What's my attitude towards authority? Do I honor and obey my parents or do I chafe under their authority? Do I pray for and thank God for our government? Do I listen to my teachers and thank God for them? Do I take care of my children, giving first thought to their nurture in the faith? Do I think of the lives of other people before I think of my own life? Do I try to live a life of ease or do I sacrifice to serve others? Am I angry? Do I have lustful thoughts? Is my, is my thinking and my speaking chaste or is it full of coarse language? Do I believe what the Bible says about marriage or am I tempted to think what the world thinks? Do I hate divorce like the Lord does? If I'm single, do I, am I content in my vocation of chastity? Am I greedy? Do I love money? Or do I trust in it? Or do I fear losing it? Do I seek happiness or safety in wealth or physical things? Do I care for the poor? Am I generous? Am I bitter? Do I talk bad about other people or gossip or let gossip happen around me? Is it hard for me to pray for people but easy to talk bad about them? Are there people that I refuse to talk to? Am I interested in the honor and good name of other people more than my own honor and good name? Am I happy? Am I content with the things that the Lord has given me? Or am I always wanting more? Am I more concerned with my own comfort than I am with God's glory and loving my neighbor? Do my thoughts and my imaginations always have to do with me and not with other people? Now, how are we doing? (laughs) We are sinners. You are sinners. But look, against this testimony of evidence that is against you, the world and our flesh stand up in protest. And most often, this protest against our condemnation sounds like excuses. I'm trying hard. I'm only human. Everybody makes mistakes. I'm busy, and they probably deserve it. Or whatever. You know this. I know it. That's the voice of the flesh that is busy, always busy, with the theological task of, listen to this, of justifying itself. Of doing the work of being your savior, of sitting on the throne. Do you see it? And this little tyrant of a self-savior will do anything to keep its place in your heart and your conscience. 
Now, many of you have asked me this question. Pastor, how could it possibly be that everyone in the world doesn't believe the gospel? The good news that Jesus saves sinners. Now, there's a number of reasons for this, but here is the big one. The news that Jesus saves sinners is only good if you are a sinner. (laughs) You must first admit your own sin and come to the truth, come to the, come to grips with the truth that you need to be saved for the gospel to be good. And this is impossible for your sinful flesh. Your flesh clings with a grip as tight as death to the illusion of its goodness and and, and sits and refuses to be moved from the throne of self-justification. And there's only one way that it will give way to Christ, and that is if it is put to death. And this is why the world hates Christmas and the cross and the resurrection and Jesus himself. The world hated me before it hated you, says Jesus. Because it wants to be the Savior. And it wants to be the King. Repent. You cannot save yourself. The illusion of your goodness will not stand on the day of wrath. All of your attempts at self-justification will fall under the evidence of your sin. And it's proved by this. If Jesus is there in your flesh and blood in the manger, and he's there suffering your punishment on the cross, it means that you need him there to save you. And he is there for you. And and this is why, though the world hates Christmas and your sinful flesh hates Christmas, we Christians sing and rejoice and are glad because we know that there is no hope apart from us, for us apart from Christ. But we have Christ. And Christ has us. He is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary for you. He is born on Christmas and laid in a manger for you. He is baptized for you, teaches and lives and works miracles for you. He is stripped and beaten and nailed to the cross for you, laid in the tomb for you, raised on the third day for you, and risen to the Father's right hand. So that now we have, we know, and have the absolute and sure confidence that the Lord Jesus has not left you to yourself and he has not let your flesh sit on the throne, but that he has come to rescue us, to rescue you, and to be your Savior. He is, Jesus is, what you need the most. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord who forgives your sins. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding
Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.